Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Matthew. The Gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 13. The Gospel record of Matthew and chapter number 13. We are continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom, the Thousand Year Reign of Christ. And that the Bible clearly teaches that the next thing on God's calendar is what is called the rapture, the calling away. And at that moment, Jesus Christ is going to call all those who have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. He's going to call them away. And that the dead in Christ shall rise first and us that are alive and remain shall meet him together up in the air. That after that is going to be seven years of tribulation. And it is during the time that God is going to be bringing those people, the Hebrew people, back to himself. And that they will get saved in droves. And he's bringing them to the place where they realize that Jesus was their Messiah after all. And then after that establishes the thousand year reign of Christ. Where Jesus Christ is coming back on this earth to rule and reign for 1,000 years. And we're in a segment of this series where we're dealing with the covenants. The covenant is a promise that, that two people make. It's an agreement, a contract. And that God has made a covenant to himself concerning the Hebrew people. And then he's made specific promises. He promised them in the Abrahamic covenant that they would have a people forever. That there would always be a Hebrew people. He promised them in the Palestinian covenant. He promised them that they would possess a land and dwell there forever. He promised in the Davidic covenant that there would be a king that would reign forever. Then he promised the Hebrew people in the new covenant that he would provide salvation for them. Now, each of those four promises are made to the Hebrew people and not to the Gentile folks, whether we are saved or unsaved. However, as we study the Millennial Kingdom, we understand that there will be us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior. We will be part of the Millennial Kingdom. We understand that even though God did not make those promises to us, we get to enjoy the benefits of that. And what we're doing in the midst of this segment of the covenants, that as we do describe the promises God made to the Hebrew people, we need to understand for ourselves how we fit in the midst of this. And Jesus answers that question in the book of uh, Matthew, the gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 44, or chapter 13, verse 44. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and look with me in the Gospel record of Matthew, chapter 13, and just one single verse that explains all of this, verse number 44. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Notice this verse, this entire parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field which... The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the, that 
field. And if you have been marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Matthew 13 and verse 44? Matthew 13 and verse 44, notice the phrase, treasure hid in a field. Treasure hid in the field. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to explain this parable, one of the kingdom parables, the hidden treasure. The hidden treasure. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And not just a wonderful God, an all-wise God. That you, in order to fulfill your promises to the Hebrew people, also offered salvation for us who are Gentiles, who are not part of those promises, because your salvation, your blood was enough to pay for the price of every person who lived. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Help us as we open up this parable that we would have understanding, that we would have discernment, and that we could get excited about how what a great God you are and the promises that we get to enjoy because you made promises to the Hebrew people. Again, give us discernment, give us wisdom, fill me with your precious spirit that you could get accomplished what you want to get accomplished through your precious word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the gospel record of Matthew in chapter 13, this entire chapter is commonly called the kingdom parables. The kingdom parables. And the reason why it's called the kingdom parables is because over and over at the beginning of the parables, it talks about, notice with me in verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven, verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven. And on and on through chapter 13, it goes through explaining the kingdom of heaven, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven, verse 31, the kingdom of heaven, verse 24, the kingdom of heaven. Over and over it deals with the idea of the kingdom of heaven. Now the word kingdom of heaven, this phrase is only used in the gospel record of Matthew. And that is because the Hebrew people, because they were promised a king in the Davidic covenant, were looking forward to their king and the upcoming kingdom that he would bring. And so when Jesus is talking to the Hebrew people, he has to describe and define what the kingdom that Jesus Christ is bringing, what it is going to be like. What is the kingdom that Jesus Christ is establishing? And so because of the people were looking forward to this upcoming kingdom, he describes it as the kingdom of heaven trying to differentiate it from a different earthly kingdom. What kingdom are we talking about? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish on this earth, and it's going to be almost like heaven because of perfect government, a perfect king, the perfect conditions. And Jesus Christ takes time to describe in these parables of the kingdoms, the kingdom parables, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And we can see that some of these deal with the preparation of the kingdom. Some of them deal with what the kingdom is like itself. And so we have discernment that these are all leading to describe the kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish here on this earth. And one specific parable that Jesus Christ speaks is only one verse long and is in verse 44 and it is the kingdom or the parable of the hidden 
treasure. If you don't mind, let's examine this parable and let's see if we could discern what Jesus Christ is teaching us in this parable for us to have understanding more about this kingdom of heaven that he speaks about. Notice with me in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure. So the first of all that we thing that we see here is this treasure. What is the treasure that he is speaking of here? Well, the Bible talks about that this treasure is the Hebrew people. Now, we talk about the the, the treasure is hid in a field. The Bible describes what the what the field is in just a couple of verses right above when it be, talks about, excuse me, in verse number, Matthew 13 and verse 38, the field is the world. So we already have an idea here that there is a treasure hid in the field. So in the middle of the world, in the midst of the world, there is a treasure. What is this treasure? Well, the Bible describes what God considers this treasure all throughout the Bible in the book of Exodus chapter 19. In the book of Exodus chapter 19, God calls the Hebrew people a peculiar treasure. That this is a treasure that belongs wholly to God. The word peculiar doesn't mean that it's strange and cross-eyed and drooling. The word peculiar carries the idea that it is totally enclosed. For example, if I took on a piece of paper and I draw, drew a circle and I put a dot in the middle of that circle, I would say that dot is peculiar to the circle. That means that dot is totally encased, totally belonging, totally inside of that circle. When God calls the Hebrew people in the book of Exodus chapter 19, he calls the Hebrew people a peculiar treasure. He is saying that this is a group of people that God considers a treasure that belongs wholly to him. That's not the only place that God calls them a treasure. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 through 9, he speaks about, we're not going to turn there, I'm just describing the background. That in the book of Exodus chapter 7 verses 8 through 9, he says, Israel, the reason why I picked you is not because you were more of people. I didn't pick you because you were the best looking people. I didn't pick you because you're the greatest people. I chose to love you just because I chose to love you. So God is speaking again to the Hebrew people that I chose you out of all the peoples on the earth. I chose you because I love you. In the book of uh, Psalm, Psalm 135 verse 4. Psalm 135 verse 4. You don't have to turn there, but let me read that to you. In Psalm 135 and verse 4. It says this. Psalm 135 and verse 4. The Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for a peculiar treasure. Once again, he uses that phrase, a peculiar treasure, Psalm 135, 4. That as we're discerning and seeing what the Bible has to say, the field is the world. And in the midst of the field is a treasure. This treasure is Israel. So what is this treasure? It is Israel. Israel's in the midst of all the people. There is a treasure, that what God considers a treasure, and that is Israel. As we describe more of the book of Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, we see first of all the treasure, but notice as it goes on. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid 
in a field. The second thing that we see is not only the treasure, but we see that this treasure is hidden. This treasure is hidden. And the reason why this is important is because we understand the treasure in this parable. It's kind of in the middle of the field. It's buried. It's not easily seen. What has happened throughout history is that the Jewish people have been scattered. That what happened is that God called a man by the name of Abraham. And from Abraham, God made him a promise that from Abraham there'd be a people forever. And then he promised them that he would have a child. And the child of promise was Isaac. And that one day, Isaac uh, found a girl and he said, wilt thou? And she wilted and they got married. And he had a son by the name of Jacob. And Jacob didn't have one son. He had 12 sons. And from those 12 sons became the nation of Israel. And from this nation, they grew and grew and grew until they were in the midst of Pharaoh's land, in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And there rose up a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And they were made as slaves until they cried for a deliverer. And God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. And Moses was used of God. There were 10 plagues upon Egypt and Egypt was ruined. And finally, God sent the people out of Egypt. The Egyptians threw treasure on them and they went and they wandered in the wilderness. They crossed the Red Sea and wandered in the wilderness. Then they had a lack of faith at Kadesh Barnea and they were cursed to wander the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of the 40 years, the man Joshua led the people into the promised land, into the Canaan land, where they were to go and conquer and settle. However, they did not conquer all of the land, and soon they rose up another generation who did not remember the works of God. And we entered into the period of the judges. And during the period of the judges, the people, they continued to serve other gods other than the true and living God. They continued to reject God. And so God went through cycles of oppression. And during the oppression, the people would cry out to God, say, God, help us. God would send a deliverer, deliver them from their problems. They would have rest until they began to rebel again and began to go through that cycle over and over and over Eventually, the people got tired of trying to find God's will for themselves. So they went to the prophet Samuel and said, Samuel, give us a king. We want someone to tell us what to do. Samuel tried to talk him out of it. However, the people relented. And so Samuel conceded under God's authority. And God gave the people a king after their own heart, King Saul. Saul reigned for 40 years. And during the time, it was a time of terror. And God decided to replace Saul because of his rebellion and rejection of God. That Saul rejected God, so God rejected him. The next king that rose up was David, who was a man after God's own heart. And David ruled another 40 years. David had a child of promise by the name of Solomon. And Solomon reigned 40 years after that. Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam, and because of his unwise choices, the kingdom was split from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had ten tribes, and its first king was was Jeroboam, and the southern kingdom had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and their king was Jeroboam. Well, the northern kingdom had 18 kings. All of them were evil. And finally, as they continued to reject God, that God had enough. And in 722 BC, he had the Assyrian Empire come and he scattered the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom throughout the world. 
The southern kingdom was given a little bit more time. They had 18 kings. Only five of them were good. And when they continued to reject God, God had enough with them. In 586 BC, he scattered the southern kingdom and scattered them throughout the world by the Babylonian Empire. Well, for a time, there was a regathering, though not all the Jewish people came back. And at the time of Jesus, there are some that are back in Jerusalem. Many are still scattered. However, they once again reject God. And in 70 AD, God sent the Roman, um, the Roman general Titus, who became the emperor afterwards. And once again, he destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And he scattered the Jewish people all across the world. And to this day, the Jewish people are scattered. They are hidden all throughout the world. They're not in one place, but they're scattered all throughout the world. Now, this is exactly what God had spoken about in the book of John, in the gospel record of John. Turn with me really quick, if you don't mind. We'll look at a uh, passage or two. In the gospel record of John, in chapter number one, notice what occurs. The gospel record of John, chapter one, and verse number 11, John 1, 11, the Bible says, He, this is Jesus, came into his own and his own received him not. And what happened is that Jesus came to the Hebrew people, but the Hebrew people rejected Christ. But this did not stop God's plan. God still had a plan. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1, we understand that those books are written to the brethren who scattered abroad. In fact, the last section of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, the book of James, the book of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude and Revelation, are what we call in the Bible the Hebrew Christian epistles. And these are written to the Hebrew people who accepted Christ as their Savior, but they are written to the scattered people, to the Jewish people, the Hebrew people that are scattered abroad. And when we see this treasure that's hidden, it is speaking about the treasures, the Hebrew people, but they are scattered throughout the kingdom. They are scattered throughout the world. And even today, the Hebrew people have never been gathered together. In fact, the common term that we call this is the diaspora. This is a technical term, meaning that the dispersion of the Jewish people, they are hidden all throughout the world. Which again, we come to Matthew chapter 13. We saw first of all the treasure. The treasure is Israel. We can see that the treasure is hid. That the Hebrew people are scattered throughout the world. Notice with me in verse 44, we see something else. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in the field. That, the, that which when a man hath found. The third thing that we see here is the man who found the treasure. The man who found the treasure. The man who finds the treasure, that's Jesus Christ. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ found the treasure. He found the Hebrew people. That Jesus came down for the Hebrew people to fulfill the promises to the Hebrew people. That this man who found the treasure, that's Jesus. Oh, and we're thankful for Jesus. As we examine once again in Matthew 13, verse 44, we see the treasure, that's Israel. We see the treasure is hidden. They're scattered throughout the world. We see the man who found the treasure, that's Jesus Christ. But notice with me as we examine this parable again, Matthew 13, verse 44. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. He hideth. Now, what is happening here? Well, what is happening here is that when Jesus came down and approached the Hebrew people, they rejected him. They sent him away. So Jesus said for a time, all right, fine, I'm going to bury you again. I'm going to keep you hidden, but I have a plan to get you back. Notice if you don't mind, the Bible describes this. Turn with me to the gospel record of Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And we see a very important uh, thing here. That in Matthew 21, we could see that Jesus made a genuine offer to be the Hebrew king. What does this mean? That when Jesus Christ came on this earth, he literally extended out his hand to the Hebrew people and said, I will be your king. And the Hebrew people rejected him. You know what Jesus was intending, what he offered them? He offered them to forget all of the future. He was willing to establish his kingdom right then and there. To the Hebrew people, he was willing to become their king if they would genuinely receive him. But they rejected him. They said, crucify him, crucify him. That God sent out a genuine offer for him to be their king right then and there. Notice Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 and verse number 43. Matthew 21 and verse 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. So what God did is that Jesus said, fine, I generally offered you the kingdom. I offered for you to do the work in my world. That over and over the Hebrew people refused to accept Jesus. They refused to accept the prophets. All throughout the Old Testament you could see they put the prophets to death. You could go through and examine how many prophets did they kill? How many prophets did they put to death? How many prophets did they put aside? They rejected God's offer over and over and over. And finally when Jesus Christ himself came. They still rejected Jesus. And his offer to establish the kingdom. So God said fine. I'm going to put you aside for now. And I'm going to turn it over to the Gentiles. To another nation. Who shall enjoy the fruits thereof. And so he said I'm going to put a pause in working with the Hebrew people. I'm going to come back to them. But I'm going to put a pause on the Hebrew people. And I'm going to put my attention and my focus on the Gentile people. Which is the time that we live in now. The church age. The time of the Gentiles. Where God is using the Gentiles to reach the world with the gospel. That he put aside the Hebrew people. That God did not stop his work with the rejected Israel. But he continues his work today through the church. Now the commentary on this idea is found in the book of Romans. Especially in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. The book of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. We see the apostle Paul breaking, with a broken heart. Explaining to the people how much God loved Israel. Let's just look at a couple of verses in the book of Romans chapter, uh, starting at chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. The book of Romans 
chapter 9, 10, and 11 is all dealing with the rejection of Israel, but yet how God still loves the Hebrew people, how he still wants to fulfill his promises, how he has not forgotten about them. In the book of Romans chapter 9, this chapter deals that if God, it deals with the idea, was God unrighteous to set them aside? And the conclusion we come through in Romans chapter 9 is that no, God was not. Notice with me in verse 4. Oh, let's start in verse 1. Romans 9, 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul is speaking about the Hebrew people. Who are Israelites? To pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. What is happening here is that Paul is saying, I got a broken heart. I wish that Paul says, I wish I can go to hell if it would make everyone uh, in the Hebrew people, if they would all get saved, I'd be willing to go to hell. This is speaking about God's own heart. That you know what God, Jesus was willing to do to bring all of the Hebrew people to himself? He was willing to die on the cross. That is Jesus' great heart. He loved these people. Notice in verse 4, we could see what the Israelites had. For the, who are the Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption? The Israelites had the adoption and the glory. And the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. The Hebrew people had all of these things. God gave them all of these things, and yet they rejected God. So was God unrighteous by putting them aside for a little time? No, he was not. He says, I'm going to go work with these other people, but I'm coming back to you. And Romans chapter 10, we see that, the whole chapter deals with the idea that the Jews are set aside. So how does God work with the Jews today? Well, they can be saved just like the Gentiles can. Romans chapter 10, and notice with me, and verse 12. Romans 10 and verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call unto him. That when Jesus Christ, when God set aside the Hebrew people... He did not say they can't be saved. But he said they can be saved just like us. How are we saved? We recognize that we're sinners. Because of our sin that we owe God a great price. We deserve hell. But that Jesus died for us. And that if we would just accept Jesus as our savior. He would give salvation to anyone. Whether we're Gentile or we're Jewish. It doesn't matter where your background is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color, what race, what creed. If you come to God realizing you're a sinner because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God and you deserve hell, but that Jesus died for you and you personally accept Jesus as your savior, he promised to save you, forgive you of all of your sins. That is God's promise to the Jews or the Greeks. As it goes on in Romans chapter 11. It deals with the idea that God is not done with the Hebrew people. That he's coming back to deal with the Hebrew people. Notice with me in Romans 11 verse 5. Romans 11 verse 5. Even so then at this present time also. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace... Then it is no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of 
works, then it be no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Notice with me in verse 25 as it sums it up now. Romans eleven twenty-five. For I would not, brethren, that you would be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that the blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, the Bible's already explained the fullness of the Gentiles. We took time to explain in Daniel chapter 2 at the beginning of this series, the time of the Gentiles that God sent in the different world empires. He had the Babylonians, which were followed by the Persians. The Persians were followed by the Greeks. The Greeks were followed by the Roman Empire, which collapsed in itself. And that from the Roman-derived governments, there was going to set up the Antichrist kingdom. And then Jesus Christ, which is the stone that the builders rejected, are going to crush the um, the other kingdoms and the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. It will be done. Then it will be time once again to work with the Hebrew people. Again, this I'm trying to speak quickly to give this summary. But what is this parable? We understand the treasure is Israel. What, is the, what happened? The treasure was hid. It was scattered throughout the world. That there was a man and that was Christ Jesus... And Jesus went and found the treasure, but then he hid it again. He offered to become their king. He offered to do these things, and the Hebrew people rejected him. When the Hebrew people rejected him, he said, fine, I'm going to set you aside for a time, and I'm going to work with the, Hebrew, with the Gentile people once again. Notice with me in the book of Matthew chapter number 13, and let's see as this parable is continued. Matthew 13, if you don't mind, and verse 44. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44, notice what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, notice this now, and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all. All that he had. Here we see the man who for joy. He sold all that he had. That This man he found the Israelites. He wanted to offer them to king. They rejected him and they were scattered. Now in order to unscatter them. In order to give them the kingdom that he promised them. You know what he had to do? He gave everything. He gave everything. What did Jesus do? Jesus, who was God, stepped from the glories of heaven and robed himself in flesh. That Jesus came down and was born into the manger. And he grew up. And he lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same troubles, the same temptations, the same trials. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Then what did Jesus do? He gave everything. They whipped him. They beat him. They scarred him. They abused him. Then they put him on the cross of Calvary. And it was at the cross of Calvary that Jesus died for our sins. More specifically, he died for the Hebrew people's sins. The reason why Jesus Christ came, the Bible talks about in John chapter 4, salvation is of the Jews. The reason why Jesus died on the cross was to fulfill his promises to the Hebrew people. He gave everything. 
And for the joy that was set before him. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12 verse 2 says for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know what Jesus did when he knew he was going to the cross? He had joy. Now don't, don't um, redefine joy as happiness. He wasn't saying yay I get to go to the cross. But what he did do is he understood I love those people so much. I'm willing to go to the cross because I know what it will do for them. That was the joy that he had. He went to the cross knowing that it would fulfill the promises to the Hebrew people. That he would bring them salvation. For the joy he sold all that he had. Notice with me in verse 44. Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field that which the man had found he hideth. And for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he had. Notice this. And buyeth that Field. What we see here is that this is the man who buy, bought the field. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he said, I want the treasure. And in order to get the treasure that's out in the field, I bought the entire field. Imagine, if you don't mind, that there's a big field. We got some fields around us in the church, uh, near the church. Let's say that in the middle of the field, there is a treasure. You open it up and there's coins and there's gems. But the problem is, is that it's someone else's field, right? You can't just go dig up in someone's yard and go dig up the treasure that's in their yard. So you know what he had to do in order to get through that treasure? He bought the entire field. And because he bought the field, he, bought, he also owns everything that's in the field. So what Jesus did in order to bring salvation to the Hebrew people... He died on the cross. He gave everything he had. He bought everything. And when he died on the cross, that payment was enough to buy the entire field. And now that he bought the entire field, he also has the treasure that's in the field. What did Jesus do? He died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. That's 1 John 2, 2. That he didn't just die for our sins only. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation of our sins. The appeasement of God's anger. And not for ours only. But also for the whole world. That Jesus Christ's blood that was shed was enough. Not just to bring salvation to Hebrew people. But his salvation was enough for every single person to have salvation. Jesus bought everything. To give the promises to the Hebrew people, he also paid the price so we could enjoy it as well. Look with me one last time in the book of Hebrews chapter, or the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Let's read this one last time and let's also insert what it means as we read it. Notice with me in the book of Matthew chapter 13 verse 44. Again the kingdom is like unto a treasure which is Israel. Hid which means scattered everywhere. In a field that's the world. Which a man the Lord Jesus hath found. He came to earth. He hideth it. He hid it because they rejected him. He set them aside for a time. And for the joy that goeth. And selleth all that he had. Meaning he gave absolutely everything. Christ went to Calvary and he bled and died. Why? So he could buy the field. This is one parable here. One verse. Speaking about our benefits. That Jesus set up the 
kingdom of heaven. He set up the kingdom that is going to be established here on this earth for the Hebrew people. But in order to give the promises to the Hebrew people, he made it available to us Gentiles. Because his blood was enough to pay for every person who ever lived. What a wonderful God. You understand that the reason why we can have salvation is because of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. Why do we get to enjoy the millennial kingdom? Because of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. What a wonderful thing that Jesus did. You understand this is a big deal to understand why did Jesus die on the cross. It wasn't necessarily primarily for us. But as a purpose to save the Hebrew people. But as a byproduct, we get to enjoy those promises as well. What a wonderful God that he is. Now again, there's a lot into this verse. But let's just simply bring it to this. Are you 100% sure if something was to happen to you? Are you 100% sure you'd be going to heaven? Let me tell you, you can know because Jesus paid your price. He paid the price that you owed God for sin. On the cross of Calvary. And his blood. His payment was enough for to pay the price of every single person who lived. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Let me tell you. You can know and God wants you to know. First John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. Everlasting life. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to think or hope or guess. He wants you to know and know for sure. That's what Jesus has done for us. That he paid our price. He bought the world. In order to fulfill the promises. To the Hebrew people. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.